All right, today, open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Gosh, we went through a sermon series in Colossians about five years ago, and today we're, we're dipping back into Colossians, and we'll be in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Si habla español, abran sus Biblias al Colosenses capítulo capítulo 4, versículos 2 a 6. Now these past few weeks, we've taken a break from the book of Mark, and we've been in Mark for almost a year, and it has been a fantastic journey through the life and ministry of Jesus. And I, and I frankly can't wait to jump back into Mark next week. But while we've taken a break, we've spent some time considering the mission that God has called us to in Santa Ana. And if you're looking for a topic heading to, to put this mini-series under, it would be evangelism. If you're looking for a series title, we'd call this, mini, this mini-series The Gospel We Share. Two weeks ago, Jeff led us into an understanding of the theology of the gospel. What is the gospel? And, and what has Jesus accomplished through the gospel? Last week, guest preacher Ricky Alcantar led us through the story of the gospel, as we just heard from Jason about what Jesus began to do in the Gospel of Luke and continued to do in Acts and continues today to do through us. Today, we're closing our series by talking about the part that we play in the gospel we share, the actual sharing of the gospel. So listen closely. Today is brass tacks. It's practical application abounding everywhere. Here we go. This is a this is an appropriate day for us to for us to just come together and this is another one of those kind of family conversations. We're going to talk about us and the role that we play. So, with that, read with me, beginning in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Paul writing to the church at Colossae. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. Would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Would you bless the commitments and the intentions to apply your word and bear fruit through the proclamation of the gospel from our mouths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So listen, to, to understand what we just read, we have to understand chapter 3. And though it has been five years since we were in Colossians, I, I don't expect you to have remembered exactly what chapter 3 said. So here's a little bit of a refresher. In chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, the author of this, this letter to the church in Colossae, He tells us and his audience 
that faith in Jesus dramatically changes a person. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says that you have died. You died with Christ in his death. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says that you've been raised with him in his resurrection. And the self, the self that died was, was the you, that, was the self that lived as a slave to sin. That self died. And so in verses 5 through 8, he says, put off the behaviors of the old self. The self that, 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 that has died why would you allow that self's behaviors to live on after that self has died? This is the picture that Paul's painting. Instead, he says in verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, put on, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, which is being renewed to reflect the image of Jesus. Put on the behaviors that are in accordance with that new self. And everything that follows from chapter 3, verse 10, really through the, the end of Colossians, is a specific application of the command to put on the new self. So in other words, listen, listen here. The, everything that follows are behaviors that are fundamental to who Christians are. To be a Christian is, is not merely to have a religious affiliation with the, the Christian institution. No, no, no. To be a Christian is to be recreated with new life in Christ with a new way of thinking and acting and behaving and speaking. So these new self-behaviors are what Christians do. And in this passage, Paul tells us effectively to put on evangelism. To put on mission. Catch this. Sharing the gospel is what Christians do. Sharing the gospel is what Christians do. It is fundamental to who we are. Sharing the gospel is not something that Christians used to do in, in a more evangelically popular era. It's not what previous generations of Christians did. It, evangelism is not what weird Christians do or, or hyper-conservative Christians do. Evangelism is not what non-Californian Christians do because we're in California and sharing the gospel here is a little bit weird. So, you know, Christians here may not be as fundamental to who we are. No, evangelism is it, it's not something that uniquely courageous Christians do or uniquely quote-unquote gifted Christians do. Sharing the gospel is what Christians do. Full stop. And if you're a Christian, sharing the gospel is a command, is something that the, the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself would say, put on in your new self. So, how specifically do we put on mission? If, if sharing the gospel is what Santa Annan Christians do, if, if Sharing the gospel is what cross of grace Christians do. How do we put that on? How do we do that in our city in 2023? 
Now, last week, Ricky gave us five ways to be on mission. And I would encourage you, go back and, and listen to that sermon. Here in Colossians 4, 2 through 6, Paul gives us a, a, a list of, effectively, four ways to be on mission. It's a, it's a very similar list, but, but it's nuanced. And, and it's okay that we've got a list of five last week and a list of four this week because reinforcement is a great way to actually encourage us to put on new behaviors, right? Reminding us, driving this stuff into our, into our brains and into our hearts. So this passage, it has four commands. There, there are four distinct commands, and those will serve as sort of our list of four today. And, and here's how I would summarize those four commands. This is our list of four ways to be on mission that's Cross of Grace Church of Santa Ana. The first, the simplest of all four of them, pray. Pray. And I would say pray with thanksgiving. We'll get there. The second one is pray specifically for gospel partners. Thirdly, love your neighbors on purpose. Love your neighbors on purpose. And fourth and finally, speak the language of grace. Learn to speak the language of grace. Become fluent in the language of grace. So let's jump into the first one and read verse 2 with me. Chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The apostle Paul includes this kind of language in almost every letter that he writes. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray without ceasing. In 1 Corinthians, he says, do not cease to pray for us. Paul is always using this, this language of, like, effectively, always pray. Hey, whoever I'm writing to, always pray and keep praying. And, and when, you, when you're done with that, keep praying. And then pray some more. And then do that steadfastly. And then don't cease doing that. Listen, maybe the, the single most important part of putting on mission is prayer. But if you're like me, you don't find yourself praying as often as you'd like to. Why is that? Well, I'm sure there's a complex web of reasons, but I think one of the reasons is because we don't follow the second half of this verse. Look at the second half of this verse. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Listen, a lack of thanksgiving is one of the greatest hindrances to prayer. Think about that. Here's what I mean. You're going to lack motivation to pray if you're not watching for God's gracious activity in the world. In other words, if you don't have eyes for God's provision, if you don't have eyes for God's answers to prayers, why would you prioritize asking God? Think about that. Thankfulness leads to prayer. Now think, think about this. What, what is the opposite of, of thankfulness? The opposite of gratitude. It's discontent, right? Complaining, worry, self-pity. 
These are the opposite of, of prayer. So think of, think of prayer like a, like a drinking fountain. Okay? And, and, and think of you like, like you. And think of you as a, as a, as a, a, a very thirsty version of, of you. And imagine that you're always, wherever you go, you're always standing in front of this drinking fountain. It's, it's always right in front of you, whether you notice it or not. But, but all you can think about is how thirsty you are and how your water bottle is broken and it just doesn't have any water and actually how much you'd really like a cold soda right now. But I just don't have one and I wish I had one. But I don't have one. And I wish I had one, but I, but I really don't have one. And, you, and you're thinking about how, how hot it is and how sweaty you are and how you're starting to feel weak and tired. And these are the thoughts that are just rolling through your mind. But if you stop and remember that the very reason why you are still alive today is because yesterday (laughs) you drank water and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that you drank water. Thank the Lord for the water that has kept me alive up until this day that you who is thankful for the water will probably be much more prone or likely to take a drink from the fountain. Thankfulness for water increases the likelihood that you will bend down and drink from the fountain. Thankfulness for God's provision increases the likelihood that you'll go to him in prayer for the things that you need. A grateful person expects great things from God because the grateful person has seen God do great things. An ungrateful person is an ungrateful person and just cycles down in ungratefulness and worry and self-pity and sorrow and complaining, stuck in this perpetual cycle of discontentment and worry, thinking about how thirsty you are, but never bending down to take a drink. Listen, I was, I was driving to work on Friday morning, and for the past couple weeks, I've, I've had this, this really intense sense of, of, of just tiredness. I'm, I'm feeling, feeling weary in some regards and, and anxious about a, a lot of things and, and was feeling somewhat discouraged and, and it had been that way for, for a couple of weeks or so. And I'm, I get in my car to drive to work, and I just have this sudden thought, I have not been praying about this at all. I've not gone to God in prayer at all. And so I turned my music off, and I just vocally spent my whole commute praying to the Lord. And wouldn't you know it, a sense of peace <laughs> overcame that anxiousness a sense of gratitude for all this that's around me started to fill my mind and my heart and I walked through the doors of my workplace a very different person than I did when I had left for work. And that sense of gratitude prompted further prayer and the cycle started to cycle upward. Now, how does that apply to our mission here? Let's say this. Thank God specifically for his provision for you and for us in the mission that he's given us. 
thank him for the baptisms that we've witnessed. Thank him for the, for the conversation that you were able to have with a coworker. Thank him for the salvation of the family member of that person in your small group that your small group has been praying for or the fact that that person who's never visited church that your small group has been praying for visited last week or the week before. Cultivate a heart for, of gratitude for, for those kinds of things. Thank God for the churches that are being planted through our partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches. Thank him for the opportunities that God is placing before you to share the love of Jesus with your coworkers and your family every day. Thank, thank God for the work that Jeff is doing with our region of churches and with our church to lead us into evangelism. All of this stuff is happening. Do you have eyes for it? Do you have eyes for it? And when you have eyes for how God is providing for us in the mission, you might then actually discover a renewed motivation to pray for mission. Which leads us to our second point. Second point, the second way to, to cultivate mission in Santa Ana is to, to pray specifically for gospel partners. Paul says in verse 3, at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Notice Paul's not saying, hey, pray for me to be released for, from prison. He's saying, pray for me to have opportunities to share the gospel even while in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray for one another. Pray, look, look to your right and your left. Look across the courtyard. Pray for these people who you've locked arms with in mission for the Lord to bear fruit in their lives in the mission that he's called us together to. When, when someone asks for prayer, for courage to share the gospel with an unbelieving neighbor or family member, write it down and then pray for it. How, how many times do, does somebody ask for prayer and, and you say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then, and then you don't pray. I'm guilty of it all the time, constantly. Hey, I'll pray for you, brother. And I never actually follow through on it. What a great opportunity to, uh, to partner with one another in mission, to pray for one another in mission. Pray for our church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for, for, for Jeff and I and for, for Jason to stay true, to stay on course to what the Lord has called us to. Pray for other churches in our city. How often does that characterize your prayers? Pray for the clarity of the gospel. Look at verse 4. Pray for the clarity of the gospel in other churches in our city. Listen, as a church, we prioritize a clear proclamation of the gospel to our city. And, and listen, if there, are, if there are other churches in this city who are being less clear in their articulation of the gospel, it does little good for us to just call them out for it. It does little good to say, we, we believe that the Lord has, has called us to, to clearly articulate and to proclaim the gospel, and, and we don't see many other churches doing that with the, the clarity and precision that the we've committed to. It does very little good to just say that and leave it at that. Even worse, to gain a sense of superiority because of it. To think, hey, whew, thank the Lord we're here, because if we weren't, <laughs> this city would just be in real bad shape. Oh, no, no, no. There are so many other churches in this city 
And we have the opportunity to pray for them. If there is growth to be had, just as there's growth to be had in our church, in those churches, in the clarity of the gospel they're proclaiming, let's ask God to do that in their church. There, there's, a, there's a church that's been meeting in one of the, the suites in the building right across the alley from our house, a church called Vila del Señor. And uh, they, they were in downtown Santa Ana, and they've, they've moved up north off of 17th Street, and they were holding a little potluck in, in the parking lot yesterday to, to fundraise for their church. And I went outside and I was talking with the pastor for a while. They've been there for several months. I've only talked to him a couple times. But I was helping him set up their easy up. Just asked him how he was doing. And he just said, we've been around for about 15 years. And he said, I'm tired. I'm lonely. Um, this is hard work. He says, I, I feel under-resourced. I haven't, I haven't learned in a long time. I've just been pouring myself out. I don't know where to turn for good resources. And I'm sitting here listening going, how many pastors are there like that? And I pointed it to Miguel Nunez and some other uh, fantastic Spanish language gospel preachers with the Gospel Coalition and even our family of churches and I sent them a bunch of resources and I stood there and I prayed with them and I thought, goodness gracious, how is this the first time I've had this conversation with this guy? I don't even know about this church. There's so many other churches that Jeff is engaging with, with the Kingdom Group, which is a group of Santa Ana pastors and churches that we can be praying for and asking the Lord to proclaim his gospel through them and their little churches along with our little church. Listen, if there, if there is one church clearly proclaiming the gospel in Santa Ana and we're that one church, at least there's us, Right? But if there were a hundred churches clearly proclaiming the gospel in Santa Ana, even better. Even better. That would be something worth thanking God for. Let's ask him to do that in our city. So one immediate practical application, join Jeff for the National Day of Prayer on Thursday. Go and pray with other churches and believers from our city and go and pray for them too. Pray with them and for them, and ask the Lord to do great things through our gospel partners in this courtyard and in our city. Third, third way to cultivate mission as members of Cross of Grace Church in our city. This is fun. Third way, love your neighbors on purpose. Love your neighbors on purpose. Paul says in verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. There's so much packed into that. But in short, walk in wisdom translates to, to loving your, love your neighbors on purpose. Love your unbelieving neighbors on purpose. Wisdom, discernment, and, and purposeful thought, purposeful intention go hand in hand biblically. They go hand in hand. It, it, and if you are hoping that you will accidentally bump into some unbelievers this week and that you will accidentally end up sharing the gospel with those that you accidentally bump into, you're probably not going to. And to reinforce this, Paul says, make the most of your time. 
which is a really interesting grammatical construction in the Greek. In the Greek. Paul's actually using uh, economic or financial language. He's saying, redeem the time, or, or better yet, buy up the time. Buy up the time. Buy the best that you can possibly buy with your time. He's talking about time as though it were a resource that we have a limited amount of and that we can accomplish only a limited amount with. Think of it this way. If every hour of your life is a dollar, you have $24 a day to spend. And that's it. You don't get any more. You get no more than that. And you spend eight of those dollars buying rest for yourself through sleep, right? And, and of those 16 remaining hours, there are non-negotiables, right? You, you have to buy up uh, an income or, or a living for, for yourself and your family. You, you, you have to, to buy up a, a home that's, that's well put together and kind of keep things in, in good maintenance. There are things you have to spend your time on. So we then have a, an even smaller limited pool of time or dollars that we have to spend. How many dollars a week are you spending on unbelievers? How many dollars a week are you investing into mission? How many dollars a week are you investing into the eternal security of a neighbor's soul? I've got to confess that there are some weeks when I don't spend a dollar. Not one. But I'm spending my dollars. I'm spending the, the, the little, the precious few dollars, hours that I have buying up meaningless entertainment for myself. Buying up distraction. Buying up things that hold no eternal value when I could have been investing into the mission that the Lord has given us. Here's the challenge. What if each of us, and let, let's start small, what if each of us committed to spending $1 a week on our shared mission? This was originally, and Jeff and I were talking about this yesterday, it was originally $1 a day. Great ambition. I would love for us to get there. But let's start small and realistic, especially if we're starting from ground zero, Right? If there are any of us who are starting from ground zero, and it's okay if you are, because we're talking about from today forward, but what if everybody at least committed to spending $1 a week on mission? If we each did that, would we see a massive revival in the French Park neighborhood this week? No. I mean, maybe, who knows? Could be, could be Asbury University in French Park this week. But probably not. Probably not. But listen to this illustration from G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton says, Suppose a man wanted to turn the world blue. If he altered one blade of grass from green to blue every day, he would slowly make progress but he would make progress right it would be slow progress but give it enough time and progress would be made friends we want to paint our neighborhood blue 
That's the vision. We want to buy up the salvation of our French Park neighbors. We want, to, we want to buy up the time, our time, for the salvation of our French Park neighbors. And it will take a long time. It might even take a long time to paint one house blue in that neighborhood. It might take a whole lot of time and effort to see one family come to saving faith in Christ. But it will not happen at all unless we make a commitment to turning one blade of grass blue every day or spending one dollar a week to mix illustrations here. But over time, who knows? We might just look back in hindsight a couple years from now and, and see the French Park neighborhood and discover that the message of the gospel has saved, has saved and transformed and redeemed dozens of lives. Let's have a vision for turning French Park blue. A vision for regularly investing hours of our lives into the mission. What do you say, friends? Let's make that commitment together. And, and you, you can love unbelievers on purpose in your own way, in your own, in your own neighborhoods, in your own workplaces, and or you could join in with what your church is already doing. We, we have ready-made ways for you to spend at least an an hour a week, a dollar a week on mission. Even if you're not a runner, come to Run Club. Shameless plug here. Every Thursday morning, 6.30 a.m., right out there. We had, a, we had a, a newcomer this week, and he crushed it. Come to National Day of Prayer. Like, join in on those things. A like, actually go. I in the fall, when we have a Christianity 101 course, engage in that. Invite friends and, and neighbors. When we have picnics in the park, be intentional with those. When we have the French Park block party, when we have small group prayer in the park, go intentionally to actually pray for your neighbors. When you have the Santa Ana 5K, go and engage with your, your Santa Ana neighbors. When we do neighborhood outreach to invite uh, French Park neighbors to, to Christmas Eve or to Easter services. Or when we have members of the church posting events that are happening in the city. Kara just posted the 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 movies in the park for the summer in Santa Ana, pay attention to that and go to that. We had several ladies go down to the library yesterday to uh, engage in Dia de los Niños. Like actually engage in those. And if somebody posts something like that on Slack, respond to it and say, hey, thanks for sharing that. Encourage that person. Create energy. In invest, invest a couple cents even into that Slack post. What would it look like for you to spend a dollar this week in our shared mission. Just did a little math this morning. It's uncommon for me to do math, but just thinking, if each of us, we're, we're it's about 45 adults in this church, plus kids, but if every adult actually spent an hour, an hour, just one hour a week on our shared mission, over 52 weeks, this next year, that would be 2,340 hours spent on our shared mission. You think God would do something through that? I think so. I, I think so. I believe he would. Okay, mo moving on. Fourth and final way to, to cultivate mission, to cultivate a priority of sharing the gospel in Santa Ana. Fourth, speak the language of grace. Become fluent in the language of of grace. Verse 6, Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The language of the gospel is the language of grace. It is the language of grace. But, but going all the way back to the beginning of this sermon series from Jeff's first sermon, our lives have to be filled with the gospel in order for our speech to be filled with the gospel. You, you will not become fluent in the language of grace unless you are regularly rehearsing the language of grace for your own life. There is a necessary logical correlation to that flow. So don't neglect time in the Word. Don't leave the sermon at the door of the Ebel Club when you leave every Sunday only to revisit thinking about God's Word in that way next Sunday. Take notes. Review your notes. Talk about the sermon with your, your spouse and your small group. Come to small group prepared. Go to men's meeting and women's meeting and, and spring class and, and fall class and your small group meetings expecting for the Lord to fill you with his gospel and expecting to, to engage with your brothers and sisters in that way so that you would have something to pour out to your neighbors. And we won't pour out the language of grace unless we're being constantly filled with the message of grace. Even, even our fellowship with one another has an evangelistic implication. It's not just for us. But listen to this also. Th this language, this language of grace, it's not a dull language. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, gracious seasoned with salt. What does he mean by that? Seasoned with salt, it, it suggests that this language is, it, it's, it's not dull, it's not flat, but it, it's, it's interesting and it's exciting and, it, and it's well chosen. It, it's, it's, it's not a, a, a simple ho-hum kind of language. Friends, we have to remember, and, and we can become overly familiar with this, the, the gospel is good news. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the triune, preexistent author of all creation. He is the King of the universe. And the message of his gospel is a message of reconciliation with God and, and redemption from sin and, and the correction of everything that is wrong with this world, leading to the ultimate and final solution of all things in him. This is no dull message. When, when you think of sharing the gospel, what picture does your mind's eye drum up? What picture does your mind's eye drum up? Is it a picture of you standing fearfully and timidly in front of somebody else who's disinterested in the conversation while you're trying to remember the five points from that one tract that you once read that one time? and that conversation doesn't go very well, right? I think for, for a lot of us, that, that's the picture that our minds paint when we think of sharing the gospel. Our notions of evangelism are, are far too easily informed by our fears. Far too easily informed by our fears. We, we, and because of it, we make the gospel that we share seem like a drag, like just cold religion. 
but it's not. Listen to this excerpt from an article published by the Imperial War Museum. It says, on May 7th, 1945, the BBC interrupted its scheduled programming with a news flash announcing that the war was over. The war now known as World War II, the most devastating war in human history, it was over. Victory in Europe Day, VE Day, would be a national holiday. Its first annual celebration to take place the following day. Newspapers ran the headlines as soon as they could, and special editions were printed to carry the long-awaited announcement. The news that the war was over in Europe soon spread like wildfire across the world. That's what Paul's saying. When he says, let your words always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that's a salty message right there. May 7th, 1945, there was a salty message being spread throughout the earth. And the gospel, the gospel is an even better message than that. A message that deserves to be spread like wildfire throughout the earth because Jesus has made peace in the war that we've waged against God. And it has eternal implications. The language of grace is not flat or dull or boring or cold. It is the saltiest, tastiest, most satisfying, most exciting, most thrilling news there is. Despite what your fears may say. So how do we speak the language of grace practically? Well, Ricky's fifth point last week was to apply biblical truth to people's lives. And that's a great way to start. That's a great practical way to start speaking fluently the language of grace to unbelievers. Apply biblical truth to people's lives. When you're at picnic in the park or city events, strike up conversations. It it may be a little bit awkward or uncomfortable, but what we're not saying is, is you don't have to dive bomb a gospel presentation out of nowhere into them which is sometimes how we think sharing the gospel has to be. You know, you walk up to somebody and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? If, if, if you don't, you're going, you, you might be going to hell, and I need you to, to, to hear what I have to say. You know, and this is really awkward, out-of-the-blue conversation. No, no, no. Actually get to know them. Ask questions about their lives. Speak biblical truth into their real lives in real conversations. Discover their thoughts and their doubts and their fears that the gospel can then speak powerfully to. Learn about people's lives. Ask them questions. Ask them how you can pray for them and then actually pray for them. Last week you heard from Ricky, praying with somebody is a great way to share the gospel with them. You can just pray the gospel right through your prayer. As you spend your dollars investing into unbelievers, share biblical truth in real conversation about their real lives. Listen, as we close, next month it'll be, it'll be seven years since we moved here to Santa Ana to plant this church. This is the first sermon I've ever preached on evangelism in this church. When we were a young church plant, mission was 
everything because we knew that the church would not exist if we didn't stay on mission. So everybody in the church spent a solid dozen hours a week, a, dozen, a, a, a solid dozen bucks on mission every week. We were a church plant. It's what church plants do. We've become, we become a more established church. And so it's good and right to have these reminders. But, but, sharing the gospel is what church plants do because it's what Christians do. And whether we are an established church or a church plant, we are a church who has been formed by the gospel and who will continually share the gospel and should expect fruit from the sharing the gospel until our last breath or until Jesus comes back. And oh, we wait for the day. But until then, sharing the gospel is what we do. How will you spend at least one dollar investing into our mission this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what, what, a, what a pleasure it is to be created by and defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would correct our misunderstandings of what it is to share the gospel, that, that, it, would, that it would be the saltiest message that exists in our own minds, in our own hearts. That we would be refreshed and amazed by and filled with the message of, the, of your gospel. That it would overflow out from us into our neighbors. But Lord, we know that that's not always the case. So we ask for your help. We ask for your grace to do what is fundamental to who we've become as new lives in Christ. Help us to spend at least one dollar this next week investing into the mission. And at the end of the year, after we've spent a couple thousand dollars, I pray that there would be a, a great return, that we would have the joy and the privilege of seeing and hearing testimonies of people being saved by grace. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.